Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be covering the murder of Ingrid Line in Renton, Washington. Let's get right to it. April of 2016, Ingrid Line was 40 years old. She was working as a nurse at a local hospital. Ingrid was recently divorced, a mom of three beautiful little girls, ages 7, 10, and 12. Those three were her world. She was always spending time with them, taking them out to go and do fun things. She especially loved the four of them getting all gussied up in their Seattle Mariners gear and going to a game. She shared custody of her girls with her ex-husband, Phil, and he just so happened to be the first one who noticed something was off. According to police documents, on April 9, 2016, at approximately 10 a.m., Ingrid's ex-husband, Phil, had showed up at her home in Renton to drop the three girls off. He was shocked when he arrived and Ingrid didn't come to the door. She was expecting him to drop the kids off and she would never miss time with her girls. But the house was locked and there was no sign of anyone, no movement in the house, nothing. He called her phone, but his calls went unanswered. He noticed her car wasn't there in the driveway. This was so completely out of character that he was instantly worried. So he called Ingrid's mother, and she hopped in the car and flew over to the house. She arrived and unlocked the door with the spare key Ingrid had given her. They searched each room, but Ingrid was nowhere to be found. While there was no sign of Ingrid, what was found in the home was unsettling. Ingrid's purse, wallet, computer, and phone were all there. I mean, surely if she would have left for any reason, she would have taken her purse, wallet, and phone. Something was very wrong. They just felt it in their guts. Ingrid's mother, Jorga, placed a call to 911 to report her daughter missing. Police responded to the home, and they were immediately concerned as well. It just didn't make any sense. All of her belongings still there. Her car, gone. Officers noted that Ingrid's computer was on, and tickets to a Mariners game the previous night were displayed. They were taking their reports and gathering all the information they could when Ingrid's mother suddenly remembered something. She and Ingrid shared a Verizon account. So she immediately logged into the account, and there she was able to see all of Ingrid's incoming and outgoing calls. She noticed something. In the days and weeks prior, Ingrid had been talking to someone pretty frequently. And just who was that? Well, let me tell ya. Jorga and Ingrid's sister wasted no time jotting that number down and running an online search. And bingo, they got a hit. They were able to trace that phone number back to a Facebook account belonging to a man by the name of John Robert Charlton. Ingrid's mom and sister also knew something else. Well, technically, her mom, sister, friends, and co-workers all knew something. 
Ingrid had recently been dating a man by the name of John, and she had planned to go on a date that Friday night, just the day before she went missing. Everyone knew because she was so excited that she had gushed to her friends and family all about this date and this new man she had been talking to. According again to police documents, even the last text message Ingrid sent to her friend and former roommate confirmed that she was on a date that Friday night. That text was sent at 10.35 p.m. that night. Nobody had heard from Ingrid since. According to court records obtained by the Seattle Times, Ingrid had met John Charlton online and they had dated for about a month. However, several of Ingrid's friends would later report to Como News that they had actually been dating longer than that. They reported that Ingrid and John had been seeing each other for around six to eight weeks, but we'll get to that later. Nevertheless, co-workers, friends, and family members all knew that on April 8, 2016, Ingrid had plans to go to a Seattle Mariners game with her date John. And this wasn't just any game. This was the home opener. Safeco Field was packed that night with excited fans. According to OregonLive.com, it was the largest regular season crowd in Safeco Field history. 47,065 fans were in attendance to watch the Mariners take on the Oakland A's. Hall of Famer Ken Griffey Jr. threw out the ceremonial first pitch. It was the perfect date for Ingrid, who was a huge Mariners fan. She loved sports, loved her Seahawks and her Mariners. So you can imagine how excited she was. A new romance, tickets to the home opener, all the peanuts and Cracker Jacks a girl could stand, and Ken Griffey Jr.? This night would be absolutely perfect. So how and when had things gone so terribly wrong? Where was Ingrid? And where was this John guy? What in the fresh hell had happened between that date she was so stoked about and the time she was supposed to be there to get her girls? Ingrid's mom, Jorga, wasn't playing around. She needed to know where her daughter was and she needed to know now. So she grabbed her phone and texted that number she had found in Ingrid's phone records, the one that had traced back to John Charlton. According to police documents, Jorga asked if he knew where Ingrid was, and she informed them that she couldn't find Ingrid, but her purse, ID, and phone were left behind at the house, and she had already called 911. Charlton responded, 911? What's going on? We went to the Mariners game last night, but we didn't stay the night together because she has her kids today. Not sure what she has told you about me or our relationship. Jorga pressed further. She's missing. What time did you see her last? A police officer needs to speak with you as you may be the last person who saw her. Charlton didn't respond. In fact, he never responded again, even though Jorga kept pleading with him to help her find her daughter. Can you please call me? I know your name is John Charlton, so please call me. Followed by, please, John, did Ingrid say anything about someone coming to see her after you separated from her last night? We can't find her or her car. As I said, her phone and ID and purse are at her house, but she and her car are gone without a trace. Any help would be appreciated. We are desperate. She would never just go off and leave her family. Desperate pleas from a mother went unanswered from the man her daughter 
was last known to be with. According to an episode of HLN's Sex and Murder After Dark, titled Date with the Devil, six hours after Ingrid was reported missing, just 10 miles from her home, another 911 call was placed, this time by a man named Mike. This is going to sound really bizarre, but I went to go grab my recycling bin, and there were three white trash bags in the recycling bin. And I went to lift them out, and honestly, it's freaking me out, but it looks like it's a foot, he said to the 911 operator. Mike recounted the events to HLN. When he had gone out to retrieve his bins, he noticed that there was something in there that shouldn't have been. The bins were heavier than when he put them out by the road. He opened the lid and found those three white bags inside. He knew he didn't put them there. So he grabbed the first one and noted that it looked to be professionally packaged. He could see what looked like the outline of a face. But surely his mind was playing tricks on him, or this was some kind of sick joke. Surely nobody would discard a human being in someone else's recycling bin. He lifted out the second bag, which was lighter, but had what appeared to be blood on it. He set it to the side. There was one more bag in the very bottom. He grabbed it and his heart sank. The sunshine hit it just right and he could clearly see the outline of a thigh, leg, and foot. He could see that the toenails on the foot were painted. He recounted to HLN through tears. The worst part was seeing those painted toenails because that just makes you sick. Police responded to Mike's home and confirmed these were human remains. They carefully processed the scene and called the medical examiner. A human head, left arm, and part of a right leg was recovered at that scene. Detective Patrick Mashad spoke to the Seattle Times, stating that the body parts would have been placed in the bin sometime late Friday or on Saturday because the bin would have been emptied when recyclables were collected on that Friday. He went on further to say that the homeowner had been interviewed, the neighborhood canvassed, and other been searched, but nothing further had been found. Investigators immediately checked for missing women in the surrounding area, and they learned that Ingrid Line had been reported missing only hours earlier. The medical examiner noted that there really wasn't much in the way of decomposition. Facial features and other identifiers were still very recognizable, so it didn't take long before the remains found were tentatively identified as those of Ingrid Marie Line. A search warrant for Ingrid's residence was obtained, and during the initial search on April 10, 2016, According to police documents, garbage bags identical in color and size to the ones those discarded body parts were found in were located in the kitchen, and suspected blood swabs were also collected. In the bathroom, a startling discovery was made. A 15-inch pruning saw was right there next to the bathtub, again according to that episode of Sex and Murder After Dark on HLN. According to Fox 5 San Diego, King County Deputy Prosecutor Jennifer Worley said crime scene investigators also found bits of human flesh and blood in the bathtub drain, in a later search where investigators actually had to remove part of the plumbing from the bathtub to secure the evidence. Police were already hot on Charlton's trail, 
it didn't take long before they had tracked him down and brought him in for questioning. According to a probable cause warrant in that episode of Sex and Murder, Charlton was interviewed by Seattle police detectives Donna Stanglin and Jeff Mudd. Stanglin and Mudd noticed something as soon as they sat down to talk. Charlton had several, shall we say, very interesting injuries. Abrasions on his forehead, a swollen lip, an injury to his chin, an abrasion on his left hand, and scratches on his chest. It appeared he had been in some type of altercation, but his story of how he sustained those injuries, well, he didn't have one. No run-of-the-mill, I was playing with my dog, I fell. I got jumped by two guys, but I didn't see them. I got them while I was working on, insert stupid excuse here. No, he didn't have a story at all. Charlton simply denied the injuries existed. This fool is aware that the detectives sitting across from him have eyes, right? Nevertheless, the interview rolled on and just minutes in, he dropped a bombshell that no one saw coming, the first of many. When investigators simply asked John Charlton for basic information, you know, name, birth date, address, he revealed that he was homeless and had been living on the streets, a fact that Ingrid's family and friends absolutely do not believe she was aware of. Charlton was asked to give his account of what happened and when he last saw Ingrid, and his story? Well, get ready, because it's a doozy. According to police documents, he acknowledged that he knew Ingrid, they had been dating for about a month, and he had spent the night at her house on occasion previously, but absolutely not on the night of April 8th. He was asked by investigators, was there a reason you didn't spend the night that night? His response, I don't know, maybe I was drunk. Who knows, maybe I wanted to get a candy bar or something. I don't know. A candy bar? Come on, man. That's about as believable as those non-existent injuries that can be seen clearly with the naked eye. He did admit that he had gone to the Mariners game with her that night, and they had gone to her house after. But he was so intoxicated, he didn't even remember how they got to her place after the game. And he had no clue what had transpired once they got to her house, but he thought that they might have had sex. He also didn't remember how he left Ingrid's house, but he assumed she must have driven him back to Seattle where he slept on that sidewalk. As inebriated as he was, he did remember one detail. And exactly what did he remember? Ingrid was acting, quote, weird, but he couldn't elaborate on what he meant by that because, remember, he was so drunk. Further on in the interview, he admitted to using drugs, but stated he would rather not get into exactly what drugs he was using. He admitted to having a huge alcohol problem and said he was not a normal person. His words, not mine. He told investigators that the next few nights he had crashed at his ex-girlfriend's house in Lake Stevens. When pressed if their relationship was still romantic, Charlton responded, Yeah, romantic. It's kind of complicated. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I should have a lawyer for this stuff. It seems like it's complicated. And with that, the police interview ended. And let me just say, your girl loves to shop, but I'm not buying any of his bullshit. And police weren't either. 
John Charlton was arrested and booked in the King County Jail for investigation of murder, according to the Washington Times. But before he was transported and booked, while still in the interview room, Charlton took his jacket off, wadded it up into a makeshift pillow, and sprawled his ass all out on the floor, and this douche canoe took a freaking nap right there on the floor of that interview room. You can watch all of that unfold on that episode of Sex and Murder After Dark. Police located Ingrid's Toyota Highlander in downtown Seattle later on that day, after they had taken Charlton into custody. It was found not too far from where Charlton supposedly passed out drunk on the sidewalk. According again to that episode of Sex and Murder After Dark, police recovered three prints on the underside handle of the driver's side door of Ingrid's SUV. Trash bags that appeared to match the bags found in Ingrid's kitchen and those found containing body parts were also recovered from Ingrid's SUV. On April 13, 2016, John Robert Charlton was formally charged with first-degree murder and the death of Ingrid Line. According to the New York Post, two days after Charlton was charged on April 15, 2016, just three blocks from where the first set of remains were recovered, a torso was found by sanitation workers in a cooler in front of yet another home. Several garbage trucks were pulled off their routes, emptied and searched, but no more remains were found at that time. I can't even imagine how devastating this must have been for Ingrid's family and friends. Not only had Ingrid been ripped away from them at the hands of a monster, that monster had then desecrated her body and discarded her like literal trash all around the Seattle area. Garbage bins were being searched through for the body of a beautiful mother and nurse. There was an overwhelming sadness in the community. This seemed like something that only happened in movies. How could someone do this to another human being? This couldn't be real. But it was. And it just kept getting worse. According to NBCNews.com, on April 18, 2016, a left leg was found at a recycling plant in South Seattle. Police announced that they believed these remains found also belonged to Ingrid Line. Everyone held their breaths and waited for another discovery to be made. People in the area nervously checked their bins. However, that discovery on April 18th would be the last. Despite community members searching and investigative efforts of police, to date, not all of Ingrid's remains have been recovered. According to HLN Sex and Murder After Dark, everything found at the three dump sites was sent over to the medical examiner's office. And while initially it was ruled that her cause of death was homicidal violence, the medical examiner noted particular hemorrhages in Ingrid's eyes and focal areas of hemorrhage on the back and side of her neck. And he determined that Ingrid had been strangled to death. But why? Ingrid was a beautiful nurse and mother of three. Everyone who knew her adored her. According to the Capitol Hill Seattle, on April 27, 2016, John Charlton appeared in a King County courtroom and entered a plea of not guilty to his charges, first-degree murder and vehicle theft. So investigators did what investigators do and continued to speak to witnesses, track down precise phone records, and all that good stuff. With Charlton behind bars and sitting on a $5 million bail, 
people were willing to talk. According to HLN's Sex and Murder, police spoke with that ex-girlfriend of Charlton's. You know the one. The one that he claimed he was still in a complicated relationship with. She revealed that he was supposed to come over to her house that Saturday morning to help with yard work. The Saturday following that date with Ingrid to the Mariners game. But according to her, he texted her and said something came up and he would be over later. When he finally did arrive sometime later, she noted that he had abrasions and, quote, a fat lip. He didn't deny the injuries as he did with investigators and instead told her he was at a bar on Saturday and that someone had robbed him and took his money or something. It's always an or something with this guy. Possible he's leaving wiggle room in case he needs to change his story? He informed her that Ingrid had just left him downtown after the game. It seemed he had that part of the story down pat. And she wasn't the only ex-girlfriend to speak out. Charlton's ex-girlfriend Heather sat down exclusively with Dr. Phil. She said she learned what her ex-boyfriend was accused of when she stumbled across an article online detailing Ingrid's murder. And while she was absolutely sickened by what had occurred, she wasn't shocked that Charlton was the one accused. Further telling Dr. Phil, he's very charming, witty, very smart, but I could tell there was something about him that was just off, maybe a little mental instability. There was a dark side to him, she said. Heather recounted an incident in which Charlton had choked her during sex, and then again right after they were finished, stating, after we were done, we were dressed. He then again put his hands around my throat and did the same thing, and he said, you are going to fix this. You are going to fix this, as he had his hands around my throat, she said. During the sex, I thought it was just maybe, you know, some people are kind of weird like that. Then when he did it, when we weren't being sexually active, is when it really started to scare me. And that's when thoughts are racing like, is he going to stop? Am I going to have to defend myself? She also added that they fought a lot throughout their relationship, and Charlton became a different person when he drank. All this according to an article on the Huffington Post, detailing that appearance on the Dr. Phil show. KIRO7 News interviewed other women who had met Charlton through online dating websites. An anonymous woman that met him through a profile on Zeusk told the outlet, Charlton seemed more normal on the phone, but says he just seemed creepy when she met him in person. He was just off and his eyes seemed creepy, she said. Another woman told KIRO7 she had met Charlton through OKCupid and they had exchanged messages. According to her, one night they messaged back and forth and everything seemed normal. That was until she received a message from him the next day that said, Maybe none of what I said last night makes sense. I should probably look into attaching a breathalyzer to my computer. He then sent more messages about, quote, fixing broken things. That really freaked her the hell out. At the time, it just seemed off, but knowing what I know now, it's scary. It's creepy, she said. And what was even more disturbing was how much she looked like Ingrid Line, according again to KIRO News 7. She reported the messages to Seattle police because she was worried he hadn't only harmed Ingrid. 
According to that Date with the Devil episode on HLN Sex and Murder, police spoke to yet another ex, and what she revealed was disturbing. This ex-girlfriend claimed that John Charlton told her he had killed someone a while back while living in Florida, and the details were jaw-dropping. According to her, he said that he had hit him with a frying pan, taken him into the bathtub, chopped him up, and threw him somewhere in the water. Was Ingrid the first victim or had he killed before? Could John Charlton be a serial killer? A source at the FBI spoke to People magazine. Not to belabor the obvious, but it looks as if this guy planned it well in advance. It looks as if he targeted the victim. He groomed her for the kill. As an investigator, when you see a murder like this, you know you are dealing with a very sick mind. The source went on to say, this could be a one-off murder or it could be a serial killer. Police took that information about the possible murder in Florida seriously, and a Seattle PD spokesperson told HLN that the tip was passed to Florida authorities. They further stated that they themselves were unable to validate the claim. It was becoming crystal clear that John Robert Charlton was not the clean-cut boy next door he had portrayed himself to be on his Plenty of Fish, Mingle 2, or any of his multiple online dating accounts. This is the internet. Anybody can say anything online. The majority of online dating sites do absolutely zero vetting. Anyone can make a profile and claim whatever fits their fancy at the time, as with any other social media account. There are so many dangers associated with finding love online. You don't really know who you're talking to. According to Ingrid's friends, she had been dating Charlton for six to eight weeks. He had been over to her place. She trusted him. She thought she knew him. Ingrid likely had absolutely no clue who John Charlton really was. And who he really was, was a career criminal and a master manipulator. It was discovered that Charlton had a rap sheet a mile long, spanning six states, including convictions for aggravated robbery, felony theft, grand theft of a motor vehicle, multiple assaults and batteries, and grand larceny, just to name a few, according to police documents. Court records obtained by Q13 Fox Seattle revealed that Charlton's own parents were afraid of him due to his drunken outbursts. In fact, they had sought a restraining order against their own son in 2006 as a result of one of those drunken outbursts. According to those court records, Charlton tried to provoke a drunken fight with his parents, and according to them, he had told them life was putting pressure on him and he felt he was becoming mentally unstable. He had also taken the movie Hannibal from a shelf and told his mother she should watch it and beware. His parents later had the restraining order dismissed. Investigators continued to build their case. Those fingerprints on the driver's side door handle of Ingrid's SUV, well, they matched Charlton's. The garbage bags matched. The injuries to Charlton with no logical explanation. Blood and bits of tissue were found on that pruning saw. All of the ex-girlfriend's accounts, it was all adding up. Investigators were able to piece together a timeline of events. Ingrid and Charlton had gone to that Mariners game. Afterwards, hit a local bar Ingrid was familiar with. 
they had gone back to Ingrid's home. At some point, Charlton had strangled Ingrid to death. He then dismembered her body with that pruning saw in the bathtub, carefully packaged her remains in those bags from Ingrid's kitchen, cleaned up the scene, loaded the bags into Ingrid's SUV, drove around disposing of them in random recycling bins, drove her SUV to downtown Seattle, ditched it, and walked far enough away not to cause suspicion and slept on the sidewalk. Everyone was anticipating the trial. It would finally be time for this dirtbag to answer for what he had done. But that trial would never happen because on October 2nd, 2017, John Robert Charlton changed his plea. According to Como News, he pled guilty to both charges, first-degree murder and theft of a vehicle. The deputy prosecuting attorney, Jeff Baird, read Charlton's statement in court. He admitted that he manually strangled Ingrid Line for several minutes until she was dead. He also admitted to taking her SUV. But even with the guilty plea and Charlton's statement, so many questions remained. The biggest one being why. Why had he strangled her? Why the dismemberment? Why had he discarded her in recycling bins? Why had any of this occurred? Questions that to this day remain unanswered. But would an answer really mean anything? There is clearly absolutely no justification for the senseless and brutal actions of John Robert Charlton on the night of April 8, 2016. On January 5, 2018, everyone was back in the courtroom for sentencing. According to the Madison Park Times, the defense and the prosecution both agreed that Charlton should receive the maximum punishment for what he had done. And you would think that the brutal murder and dismemberment of a mother of three would be enough for at the very least life imprisonment, right? Well, this is Washington, and that's not how they roll. If you remember back a few episodes ago, we talked about the case of 18-year-old Alyssa Nasita, who was provided drugs and raped as she lay dying from a drug overdose which was all documented by text messages and photographs from rapist Brian Varela as he joked with his friends while he raped an unconscious Alyssa and her life slipped away. He then attempted to cover his tracks but was busted with Alyssa's body in a Tupperware container in his home. Due to the sentencing laws in the state of Washington, Varela was only sentenced to two years, ten months. If you haven't heard that episode and you really feel like you need to rage today, skip back a few and you'll find it. How had a man who raped an 18-year-old girl as she died been sentenced to less time than most serve for some petty-ass charges? I mean, come on. Folks have been sentenced to life in prison for marijuana charges. How had this happened? Well, it was those sentencing laws. Judges in the state of Washington and several other states are bound to an algorithm of sorts when it comes to sentencing. It's known as a sentencing grid. You can find an example of a sentencing grid at sentencing.umn.gov. On one side, the seriousness level of the crime is listed, and on the other, the offender score. The offender score is calculated based on several different factors, such as juvenile and adult criminal history of the offender, and whether or not the offender was on community custody at the time the offense occurred. 
The judge plugs in the crime on one side and the offender score on the other. And where the two meet, you've got your sentence recommendations. The judge in Alyssa Nasita's case did not feel that the sentence she handed down was adequate. And it appears neither did the judge in Ingrid Lyons' case. According to Como News, Judge Julie Spector handed down the maximum sentence allowed by law. She sentenced John Robert Charlton to 28 years in prison. Charlton will be a free man in his early 60s. Ingrid's ex-husband, Phil, spoke out the proceeding. He deserves more, he said. Ingrid's family and friends all wanted Charlton to spend the rest of his life in jail. According to the Madison Park Times, Superior Court Judge Julie Spector agreed. She said she wished a life sentence was possible, but her hands were tied by state sentencing laws. She stated, if there ever was a case to do so, this would be one. And I think you know that. Judge Spector told Charlton before handing down the 28-year prison sentence. Family and friends of Ingrid Line addressed Charlton directly in that King County courtroom. According to SeattlePI.com, her ex-husband and father of her three daughters, Phil, said, You've taken our daughter's compassionate, caring mother, who I respected very much. You have taken someone who was not yours to take. Her friend Nancy also addressed Charlton. Ingrid wasn't just murdered, she said. Her body was brutally violated and discarded like she was nothing. She fought to live and you forced her to die. You smothered her laugh. You crushed her smile. You killed her physical body, she went on to say. Not her energy, her soul, or her light. Ingrid is here, represented by those who love her. Again, according to SeattlePI.com. Ingrid Marie Line was born on August 2, 1975. She was a nurse and a devoted mother to three beautiful little girls whom she absolutely adored. She was loved by anyone who came into contact with her, a bright light with a beautiful soul, a friend, mother, daughter, sister, aunt, and caretaker who will live on the hearts of those who loved her, especially those three little girls. For more information about Ingrid's case, check out my Facebook at least of these or my Instagram at least underscore of these new episodes drop every Thursday. So make sure you subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.